0: series on silent killers, I want to just talk in just a couple minutes to define guilt and shame so that we know the difference in those as we move forward here this morning. You know, guilt is action-based. It's focused on our behavior, usually about something that we've done wrong, something that we wished that we wouldn't have done. And shame, shame is a lie that says, I'm bad. Shame says that I'm wrong or that I'm dirty or that I'm not good enough. Or that there's no hope for me. And when we take that in, we focus on the shame, and we really focus on ourselves. And we take that shame in so deep, I mean, we personalize it, we nurture it, until a lot of that shame has roots that are so, so deep in us that it's hard to get rid of and cut those things out. More simply put, guilt says, I've made a mistake. And shame says that I am the mistake. It was a huge difference. But either way, if you've had to carry or you are carrying either one of those, I know that it is a very, very painful experience. I'll share a little story with you about something that I did when I was back in my early elementary years. And when I share this story with you, if you know me at all, when I'm sharing this story, you're going to say to yourself that there's no way that Calvin did that story. That there's just no way that he did that kind of action. He's probably making this up. Or if Ken Lentz were up here sharing the story, you'd say, Yeah, I could see it. I, I, I could see that. But, Calvin, there's just no way that this would happen. So I went to the bank with my grandpa. We walked all the way into where the tellers were. This was back in the day where you would sit down to talk to the tellers, and you did your banking. And so, to this day, I cannot tell you what came over me of why I did this, but when my grandpa went to sit down and talk to the teller at the bank, I just thought this was the time to slide the chair out from underneath him at the bank and down on the floor. Oh, my gosh, he hit so hard. He went down on the floor. And uh, I know, can you believe, can you believe I did that? I still can't to this day, 45 plus years later. And so for about half a second, I thought it was funny. And then when that half second was over and I looked down and I was watching my grandpa start to recover himself and gather himself to come up back off the floor, the guilt immediately set in and I felt horrible for what I had done. And grandpa's only words to me right there at the bank as he was struggling to get up was, just wait till we get home and your grandma hears about this. So we had a very long and silent car ride home, and when we got back home my grandpa had some really, really choice words that he used to describe me in the scene that went went on back at the bank. I never really got spanked over the whole ordeal. I think that would have actually been better, because the way my grandma made me feel about myself is she made me feel so ashamed over what had happened. And I don't know if you have ever um, known a gesture associated with shame that's ever been like gestured towards you? Um, anyone know what that gesture might be if it's been done to you? As I'm trying to watch out here. Maybe not. Maybe none, none of you had a, an, a a grandma born in Italy and uh, <laughs> who was uh, a pro at shaming. And so it was like shame, shame on you, Calvin. Shame on you for what you've done. And as I was thinking back to that whole event, I was just thinking of the things that come to mind about that gesture, about that gesture of shame. And I was, I was thinking, you know, when that happens, we, we hold on to that. Shame takes us away from who we are. It takes us away from who we want to be, who we were meant to be. Shame can lead us into isolation. And when we take shame in really deep Shame can make us feel that we need to distance ourselves from God because maybe he's feeling the same way about us. Everything about that gesture says, go away, away. And when that happens in our lives and when we take that in, it's a tactic of the enemy because the enemy would like for us to do nothing more than to isolate and for us to move on to a feeling and to believe that about ourselves that we should even isolate and make ourselves feel distant from God. But God would say the total opposite to you and I when it comes to shame. Because everything that he says is a gesture of come close to me. I have love for you. I have forgiveness for you. I have newness for you, hope for you. And to tell you that this isn't who you are, this doesn't have to be your basis of thinking out from where everything else kind of springs in life. In fact, the message that God would have for us would be shame off. Of you, shame off of you. That when he went to the cross for us and when he died there for our sins, all the ones that we've committed, even the ones that you and I have yet to commit, those sins that he died for, he took those on. He took on our shame as well. And where the enemy works to put us to shame, scripture says something different. In Isaiah 50, verse 7, Isaiah says this Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a stone, determined to do his will, and I will not be put to shame. Now, Isaiah has a lot going on right here for him to be able to come forward with those words and to say that he knows that he is not going to be put to shame. So Isaiah is a prophet of God, and the job of the prophet of God is to communicate to the people what God is saying to him, right, through him out to the people. And when you have this job, as Isaiah does, it's not very popular all the time. You're saying things, and the people are hearing things that they don't want to hear. And when that happens, they come against you and they form a resistance. And what happens to Isaiah to call it a resistance is calling it pretty lightly. Because the people are probably saying things about him that they don't like, saying things to him that they don't like. But we know from Scripture, they are physically coming against him and they are showing their disagreement. They are spitting on Isaiah for the things he has to say. They're pulling sections of his beard out. And Isaiah knows this. He knows that he will not be put to shame, even in the midst of all of that. Now, he's not saying that he knows that he's not going to get hurt again or that he's not going to feel down again or sad again. But he does know this, is that he is going to be given strength and comfort and encouragement and support through this time. And so Isaiah, right now, he has to make a choice. And one of the things that he does is he decides, he says, I'm going to set my face like a stone. So in other words, he's determined to do whatever it takes to walk forward and to keep going and thinking in new and different ways from what the people have been saying about him or to him from the things they've been doing to him. And maybe Isaiah, as he's starting to think about this, it's possible he's taking on that he's believing what the people are saying about him. So he says, I have to set my face like a stone. I know these things that are happening to me, they aren't my fault. But I know that it is my responsibility to set my face like a stone and to move forward and to move away from those things that are starting and trying to shame me. And he decides that he's going to do his part, because he knows and he can count on that God is going to come through and that he's going to do his part. And he is committed to do this, even though it isn't easy. He never let that adversity take a deep root in him, that he's going to move forward in that new direction. So Isaiah catches this resistance early. But what if you and I have been not able to do the same? What if we've let lies come in. We've let things that have happened to us. We've taken that shame in and we've been dealing with it for years and years and it really has put us to shame. What if we've been entertaining this lie of shame for a long time? So I want to tell you this morning, you and I can get out of this rut of shame no matter how long we've been dealing with it. One of the things that I love and so appreciate about any of the staff that come to share with you on any given weekend here at Grace is their willingness to be transparent in front of you. Because the staff want you to know that we are real, that we are imperfect and flawed people, and we want you to know that God has done a ton of work in our lives and that God still has a ton of work yet to do in our lives. And we're transparent because we want you to know that you are not alone in the struggles that you face. So I will tell you a little bit about this lie that I took in for a long time to where it became shame for me to be transparent for you here this morning. And then in a few minutes, we're going to hear from another staff member who's going to be probably even more transparent. And so I took this lie and it began to really set a lot of shame forth in me. And it had a theme to it. And I think it's a common struggle that maybe we all have. And it is the lie, and it says that I'm not good enough, right? It's the I'm not good enough story. So it started for me back when I was coming out of middle school, coming into high school, and uh, this kind of this uh, well-to-do family was going to be having this dinner for these basketball players coming out of middle school into high school. Uh, we were the, uh, you know, the up-and-comers, so to speak. And so we're at this dinner, and this family uh, kind of is addressing the whole uh, group of players, but they're making it really clear that they're really addressing me when they're talking about this. I don't know if this has ever happened to you where you're in a group, but someone is directing the, their comment at you. And so at supper, you know, the comment goes something kind of like this, you know, it's too bad that the coach feels that not everyone is really ready to go to the next level. And so the lie begins to set in right there. I'm not good enough. I mean, I remember in a football game in high school, um, I played the position of tight end, which is kind of this combination of receiver and lineman. And when I was the receiver part of that position, I loved to catch passes. I could catch everything that was thrown to me. But when I had to block, I could not block to save my life. So we're in this game, and the guy that's across from me over and over, he just keeps beating me, he just keeps getting past me. So I go to the sideline, and the coach is extremely unhappy, and he grabs me by the face mask, and he pulls me in, and we are like nose to nose, and over and over, he just keeps saying, is that guy that much better than you? Like, over and over. So at the time, I'm taking it. When I look back now, I just wanted to say, apparently, that's the case. He is. He really is that much better than me. So if you can see it from where you're at, if you would do us both a favor, and if you would just start to call a few plays to go around the other side, I think we would have some success there. But there it is again. I'm not good enough i come in from having a great basketball game and I would come through the doors and I'd want to tell my dad about the game and I would come in and I'd be like, hey dad, I scored 17 points in in our game today. And he'd be in his corner chair with his newspaper and the newspaper would like barely come down to look over the top and be like, hmm. And then the newspaper would go back up and I would say, that was really no acknowledgement. I'm not good enough. And even when I started to work here at Grace over 21 years ago, there was a staff member at the time that was kind of in a spot that thought they were out of earshot. And the comment was like, he's coming on staff? What does he think he can do here? I'm not good enough. So we know we're entertaining this lie in our lives, and we take shame in when we've heard something over and over and it begins to to sink in, or we've heard something relatively close to it, even though it might be really not be true, but it resembles that line. We're like, oh yeah, there it is. That's the I'm not good enough story. I'm taking that back on. That's the I'm not good enough story. And it doesn't surprise us. And right there, we're hooked. And so I tell you that part of my life to say that I'm with you, that if that is where you're struggling that that I know where you're at, that I know what a heavy load it is to carry that lie around. And I know what it means to lose to that lie day after day after day, many more times sometimes than as it is to have victory over that. And so in the midst of things for me, I had to do like Isaiah. I had to decide, I'm going to set my face like a stone. I am going to work against this. I'm going to hear what Jesus has to say, what his truth is for me. I'm going to go through therapy. It's really one of the many reasons I went back to school to become a therapist myself because I thought I have got to be in a spot to put myself in a place to help others get free from things just like this so that I can be in a spot, so that I can offer them help for today, so that they can feel like they've got some more hope for tomorrow. And perhaps I think one of the key things I learned along the way in this practice and was to get my mind off of me, to get my mind off of those things that were causing shame, and to refocus on what the real truth was, the heavy weight of the words of truth of Jesus, of what he would say about me. And this, this, this can truly happen in our lives. You know how amazing this mind is that God has given us? He's given us this mind that we can learn, it seems like, an infinite amount of things. But just as important on the other side of it, He's given us this mind so that we can unlearn a lot of things that we have heard or that we've been wrestling with for years and years. There's this term, it's called uh, neuroplasticity. And it means that our mind has the ability to modify and change both its structure and its function. And I think, okay, function is one thing, that's awesome. But we can change the structure of how our mind is made up by thinking in new ways. We can respond to things differently and different experiences. And that's amazing news to me because it says just because we've been thinking one way in our lives, and even if it's been for a long time, it doesn't have to be the rest of this way for the rest of our lives that God has given us the ability to change our thinking for good. So think of it this way. You ever been on a a back road that's super muddy that other cars have gone down, and these ruts in the road are cut super deep, and when your tires get in in those ruts, basically you can just take your hands off the steering wheel, you can just press the gas because the ruts are so deep that they'll just take you wherever you want to go with little or no effort. Okay, that's, those are the kind of ruts that are cut in our mind. We can cut new ruts in our mind to cover up those old ones. And maybe you've been in a rut like this one. I want to watch you, have you watch this video from my uh, dear friend and our youth pastor here at Grace, Sarah Nichols.
1: So I have dealt with shame for the way I look for most of my life. And being 40 years old, that's a long time. (laughs) And I love how Jesus sets me free from it over and over again. The ways that I have to keep on overcoming thought patterns or rejecting isolation or lies that the enemy comes at me with about the way I look is really, not pretty, it actually took a lot of guts for me to agree (laughs) to this video. Initially, I was like, yeah, I'll do that. And then ever since I said yes to making this video, I've been like, I don't know that I'm really free from it. So (laughs) what can I say that will be powerful for Jesus? And so I just wanna share my, like the biggest moment for me when I really overcame it, and the moment that I go back to the most is when I was I was told to ask Jesus to to show me what he how he sees me, and that moment really changed me. It changed um, my confidence level. It changed what I knew I was capable of, and what I didn't want to allow to hold me back anymore. Because when we see ourselves through Jesus' eyes, there's so much more that He has for me than I would have ever allowed myself. Because I had always thought, like, what what do i have to offer if i look this way if i'm overweight if i um, am setting a bad example about what i eat or the way i take care of myself um, or are people constantly judging me and so will they even care what i have to offer or say or bring to the table in a relationship or a ministry (laughs) and When Jesus showed me how He sees me, it changed everything because He just adores us. (laughs) And when you come to grips with that and you realize what He's done for you and the worth that you have according to Him, it's such a tragedy to sit back and let something like shame hold you back from all of the gifts that he's put in you. And he he showed me that and gave me new confidence. I just would love it if all of us could take a minute and ask, Jesus, how do you see me? Because if we're washed in his blood (laughs) and we're forgiven and we're set in eternity with him, then he sees nothing but but potential in us and what we could do for the kingdom if we allow ourselves to be set free from all the lies that would hold us back from being useful in this kingdom, from being um, the person that reaches out to others and loves without holding back because we're afraid of rejection or judgment. It was hard for me to, to make this to say that I could do this because I feel like I have so much that I still have to overcome. I just think about how, if I had allowed myself to stay trapped in shame and not rise up to who God says I am because of Jesus, like how much I would have missed out on. Because when you can let go of something like that and really see how God can use you, (laughs) there's nothing better. There's nothing better than being used by God. And I just don't want shame to hold anybody back anymore, especially not me.
0: So powerful, so brave of Sarah to uh, to do that, and that just love, makes you love Sarah all the more. And the thing that I love about it is that she's she's being transparent. And she's saying, "I'm still in the process of doing this. I'm still in the process of covering up those old ruts, and I'm forming a new pathway because of focusing on what it is that Jesus says about her and what it is that Jesus says who Sarah really is." And I have no doubt. That for Sarah, those old ruts are going to be covered over, and just as easy as they were to travel down, these new thoughts and these new ways that Sarah is focusing on for what Jesus says about her, it's just as easy for our thoughts to go right down that pathway. And I think, to my mind, never more true have the words in Scripture been when it says that we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds that he can renew our minds by focusing on what God says about us and who we are, how this thinking lifts us out of the shame, that puts a new focus on us, and that leads us to the truth where Jesus would always say, shame off of you, shame off of you that God wants to love us exactly right where we're at and to remind us that his grace is enough for us and that his power is made perfect even in the midst of our weakness that we're going through right at this moment and that he always longs for us to come close to him. There's a story in scripture of a woman who did just that, that came close to Jesus. And we don't know her name. We know how Jesus healed her because she took steps to overcome her shame so that she could come out of isolation and reach for Jesus. In Mark 5, 24 through 28, it says that a large crowd followed and pressed around him, pressed around Jesus. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and she had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. This condition that she had for 12 years, it was her cycle, right? A cycle that had never stopped once for 12 years in a row. Now during this time, a woman was considered unclean for seven days during this condition. So this woman, for 12 years in a row, would have been unclean. There wasn't a place that she could go without making the place unclean. There wasn't a person she could be around without making the person unclean. So for 12 years, she is forced to isolate. She's subject to being shamed by her culture. I mean, I just I, these are unthinkable conditions for me to think of when I think about what she had to endure. And then somehow, even in the midst of isolation, I don't know if it was the crowd, if it was passers-by outside, but she learns that Jesus is going to be in the area. And she decides, I have got to get to him. I've got to make a plan to get myself to where Jesus was going to be. What a monumental leap of faith this is for her. And so she heads out, she makes her way toward and through the crowd of people, doing her best to probably go unnoticed, doing her best to nonchalantly approach the crowd from behind. And then she goes for it and she says, if I could just touch his clothes, I could be healed. Then scripture goes on to say, immediately her bleeding had stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and he asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus keeps looking around for who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened, to her. She comes and she falls at his feet. She's trembling with fear and she tells Jesus everything. She tells him the whole truth. And he reaches down, and this is the way that he addresses her, right? Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And the woman's risk pays off and she reaches for Jesus in the midst of her shame and she's healed. And I want you to know that the same is true today for us, that when we reach for Jesus in the midst of our shame, he's not going to meet us with any kind of shame on you, action or language or gesture. Jesus is not going to meet you with how dare you or who do you think you are kind of an attitude. Instead, he wants to address us personally, just like the woman right here right? He heals that physical ailment. I mean, that is miraculous in its own right, but now he goes further than that, and he wants to address her personally. He wants to redefine maybe what this woman has been thinking or believing about herself, just in the same way that we may have been taking things on, taking the shame on, and identifying with something where we were were saying, no, that's become me. This is where we need the help. See, when we operate out of a basis of shame, we forget who we truly are. We walk around and we have these thoughts, or even worse yet, those thoughts become in true beliefs, where we begin to let shame say that I'm the affair, that I'm the one who's unworthy of love, that I am the depression that I'm going through, or I'm the anxiety that I feel, that I'll never fit back in, that I am the mistake. And we forget whose family that we're in. And for those of us who follow Jesus, we've been adopted into his family. And here's where Jesus comes through for this woman with just one word that redefines her, that recenters this woman's whole being and as she throws herself at his feet, she's trembling with fear and she confesses and tells him everything that she's been going through. I could just see him reaching down with this open hand of love and this compassion on his face. And really, her life changes with one word, and he says, Daughter. Oh my gosh, how powerful is that one word right there? That daughter heals her wound. And that daughter says she is embraced into Jesus' family. And that daughter says, that I do not find any shame in you or on you and that I am embracing you and the daughter is tender and that it's kind and that it restores her dignity and that restores her value and I would wonder this weekend where do we need to reach for Jesus today to allow healing to happen in our lives just like this woman where she could come out of isolation in the worst of the worst, she could reach for Jesus in the way that she was met with that compassion, with that love, with that new identity, that what Jesus provided for her in that exact moment was exactly what she needed. That where those lies, those things had been hanging on to her, he changed that life in an instant for her. So I just want to pray that over you here this weekend. Jesus, I know that you are still In the business of healing. I know you're still in the business of reaching out for people and wanting to address them personally and reminding us of who we really are and, more importantly, who we're not. And so, Lord, I just pray that um, as we begin. To close, Lord, that uh, Lord, you just move through your people today, and you are just bringing a healing, Lord. You're bringing about a new sense of freedom, or you're you're bringing about a word to the people here today, Lord, that helps them walk out of here different than what they came in, or you're reminding them that they're yours, God, and that you love them. And so I just pray that over everyone here this weekend. And I pray in Jesus' name.